Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. There seems to be a lot of others in the state of Indiana who want to walk away from this story about Jennifer Ruth Green, about how her military records were leaked to Politico, how it's possible that Democratic Congressman Frank Mervan, who is running against her in the 1st District, is, well, off the hook. Did he get these records? Did he leak these records to a Politico quote-unquote reporter? Why does the story get no play? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, it's good to be with you. I am disgusted, as I've said, by the media in the state of Indiana. It's not just Indianapolis anymore. No, no, no. It's not, it's not enough. It's not a strong enough statement. It is the state of Indiana that has, is watching this story play out in real time. And they're saying nothing, and it's all because of politics. And you now know, in case somehow you didn't know already, that the bias is real. It's factual. It cannot be denied. The bias is right there in front of your face. If Jennifer Ruth Green were a Democrat, this would be the only story in America. But she's a Republican, and she's a black Republican, and therefore, that can't do. How do I know this? Because the Congressional Black Caucus, which claims to be committed to electing African Americans and African American allies to Congress, they supported Frank Mervan, the Democrat. Not Jennifer Ruth Green, the Republican, even though she's a black woman. She would be the first Republican black woman in Congress if she's elected in the 1st District of Indiana. And the Congressional Black Caucus, nope. Because when you're a conservative, you're not black. This is the take. Oh, I'm sorry. My honesty for years, a little too much for some people. Don't care. Doesn't matter. We're right, guys. If you're black and conservative, you're not really black. If you're Jewish and conservative, you're not really Jewish. If you're gay and conservative, you're not really gay. If you're a woman and conservative, you're not really a woman. Onward and onward and onward. That's exactly what the Congressional Black Caucus said. You, Jennifer Ruth Green, aren't black enough. Now, if you ask me, should there be a Congressional Black Caucus, I would say to you, no. No, there shouldn't. Because you should be very focused on candidates who engage the things that you feel are important. And we shouldn't be engaging candidates or voting for people just because, well, let's say, for example, they're Jewish. I can clearly remember my grandmother, oh, rest her soul. Good woman, Ethel. Uh, and uh, she said uh, that I should vote for, for Al Gore and, uh, and, and Lieberman, Joe Lieberman, because Joe Lieberman was Jewish. And I said, Grandma... Uh, where's the potato salad? It's exactly what I said. I was in her apartment in Brooklyn, New York. I can feel it. I know where I was when I said it. I, I can I can smell the place. She had this two bedroom place in 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 Brooklyn. Um, and in uh, oh god, what, what was oh Co- near Coney Island? But it was I from the the name of this place is eluding me. Uh twelfth floor. She had a balcony. Oh, it was so fantastic. Fantastic. She did not have the furniture uh, covered in plastic. That, that, wait, did she? Was the couch, oh, the couch might have been covered in plastic. But the chairs weren't. The chairs weren't. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, oh, made the greatest potato salad in the history of mankind. 
In the history of mankind, no one did it better. Still, my mother can't do it. My wife can't do it. I can't do it. No one can do it. Brilliant. It was in the hands. It was amazing. But I wasn't about to vote for Joe Lieberman just because he was Jewish. That, to me, was what we uh, call in the business uh, a a non-starter. I don't vote for someone just because they're Jewish or just because they're black or just because they're a man or just because of any other thing. You vote for people because they uh, have an idea, a vision, a value system that allows you to lead a better life, that allows the country to grow and thrive, that is better for your posterity, right? To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Yeah, it's, it was some fine words uh, they wrote them 200 years ago plus. Still holds true. So Jennifer Ruth Green doesn't get the support from the Congressional Black Caucus because they've decided she's not black enough. That's their bigotry. Don't get upset with me. All I'm doing is noticing their bigotry. And the state of Indiana, this press corps here, doesn't want to know how this woman's military records were leaked, whether or not the Congressman Frank Mervan, the Democrat, had anything to do with it. Not a single bit of investigative anything. And how about this so-called reporter for writing the story when it wasn't necessary to include the fact that according to her military records that she was a victim of a sexual assault? Wasn't necessary, but he outed it, this so-called reporter. Total silence. Total silence from Indiana media, from top to bottom, not just Indianapolis, all over. It's disgusting, it's despicable, it's low class. I'm not going to stop talking about it. I'm not going to stop shaming the media. This, this, this pathetic, pathetic non-journalist from Politico. These pathetic so-called uh, anchors and reporters from Indianapolis. And I get it. Your job is to read the news. You can also say to your news departments, hey, we should be discussing this. You can have some voice. There's not one reporter who's going to put a microphone into Frank Mervan's face, Congressman Mervan's face. Sorry, doesn't rest well with me. So I'm going to keep bringing it up. And honestly, if if the Indiana press corps doesn't like me, I'm going to sleep fine. Because me, I'm doing my job. I want answers. But I'm just a commentary guy. You're the reporters. If I have to be the reporter, well then, we've got a whole nother conversation to play. Do your jobs. Be a little curious. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. Can't touch this. Touch this. Can't touch this. My, 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 my music hits me so hard. Makes me say, oh my Lord, thank you for blessing me. What am I doing? So the Colts take on the Tennessee Titans. They're down in Nashville. Maybe they'll have some barbecue. I don't know. They didn't check with me on, you know, how the catering was going to go. It Honestly, is there anybody else in America you should trust more than me when it comes to craft services? The answer is no. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, what is going on? Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. But with the Colts uh, down there, you know, it's been JMV, who we have often on the show, to talk uh, about Indianapolis. Man, uh, he sees this as the game that's like the 
this is the pivotal one. This this is the fulcrum, right? You're either going to have the season, or people are gonna people are gonna have a very rough time. Who knows if they're gonna have jobs? I thought it was the Jacksonville game, which yes, the Colts won 34-27. It's the game that they proved they can actually play, uh, or at least you know, uh, forty five minutes of football. They they proved they can play at least three quarters. But the key to that game is they did not give up. They did not give up. They did not give up. I think I think that's the great lesson from that game. But the JMV from 93.5-1075, the fan, has been all over this conversation that it is this Tennessee game because of how Jim Irsay looked, looks at Tennessee as the kind of grittiness and toughness that he wants. is like that. That is something to aspire to. So when we look at, at, at this game, you know, I had uh, I spoke with JMV earlier. I'm like, is this really the game that means everything to the Colts? Yeah, there's no doubt, Tony. This is the gauge. It's the gauge not only for this team coming into Sunday. Uh, it has been longstanding now. The gauge for the owner Jim Ursay, as far as you know, I, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I, I kind of view Jim as being smitten and or jealous of what Tennessee has become over the past two years because that's what he envisioned his team to be. The way they play on the field, the way they make up for one another when somebody goes down due to injury, and the toughness, of course, with the results coming alongside with that. The Colts haven't had it. Tennessee in the past two years, you know, last year being the one seed of the AFC, the year prior going all the way to the AFC title game. Those are the results, and that's the type of team that Jim's looking for and that's not what the Colts have represented. Not only are we talking about that, but we're also talking about a huge deal inside the AFC South, Tony, coming up in Nashville on Sunday. What is, and, or maybe I'm saying it wrong, uh, who's on the line? Like, is, is this a game solely about Matt Ryan, or is this a game solely uh, about a defense that can contain a, a Titans running game? Well, I'll give you twofold here. Uh, this team will go as far as the offensive line, Tony, will take it. And I'm talking about either creating running gaps for Jonathan Taylor, hopefully he's back to run the football again, or to protect a 37-year-old quarterback. And that's something they did on Sunday. Now, against Jacksonville, they changed things up dramatically. They had that many bye week after the Thursday nighter, a little more time to work on a no huddle. Matt Ryan threw the ball 58 times. That's simply not sustainable. It was good, I thought on that Sunday because it changed things up. It got that offense into a rhythm. And to me, it wasn't so much the no huddle, Tony, as it was. It was the quicker rhythm throws from Matt Ryan, getting the ball out. And I thought that that also helped out the offensive line. They didn't give up any sacks. They looked as good as they have looked the entire year. Now, granted, they're supposed to look that way anyway. And they had to devise something offensively to make them look better. But the fact is, that they did, and I think that there are variables, Tony, you can take away from that game against Jacksonville into Tennessee coming up on Sunday. The quicker rhythm, the shorter routes, the getting the ball out of there really quick, I think offensively is one of them, because I think it puts this offense into the rhythm, which is necessary, and it really does help out that offensive line. Now, on the other side, defensively, this team defensively against the run had been good up until the Jacksonville game. They gagged up 243 yards against the Jaguars. That's something that has to be fixed. Because if you do that against Jacksonville, imagine what Derrick Henry can do to you on Sunday if you don't tighten that up. Talking to JMV from 93.5, 107.5, the the fan. You can follow him 3 to 6 p.m. over there. You talked about how they went up-tempo last week. It was Matt Ryan. It was uh, some shorter passes. But guys like like Alec Pierce can clearly – 
go as deep as you want to go and wrestle for the ball, but he also seems to me a guy who should be, you know, in, in, in that slot uh, over over the middle, nine yards, 11 yards, nine yards, 11 yards, nine yards, you know, constantly and, and consistently. Is there something about this Titans defense where you see that that game that they played like they played against Jacksonville works well against a Titans defense? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that, they, again, I mentioned variations offensively of, of things. They're not going to run. They may run some no huddle, don't get me wrong, but they're not going to run the no huddle as they did the entirety of the game against Jacksonville. But, yeah, you can. I think you can pick on and work on guys, especially with these shorter rhythm routes. And then you saw Tony on Sunday, you know, they did that, did that, and did that. And then on that final drive, um, the the offensive line held up gave Ryan some protection, and they went deep. They really didn't go deep with that ball too much on Sunday, but one of the times they did closed out that game to Alec Pierce for a touchdown. So I think, Tony, those opportunities are going to be there. I think you're also going to see, and I'm, I'm depending that Jonathan Taylor is going to be playing coming up on Sunday, and my, my if he's going to be playing coming up on Sunday, I think you're also going to see them go at that run certainly more so than they did against Jacksonville on Sunday. It is about, again, the offensive line and protecting your quarterback. We saw that last week. It worked out great. They got a win. They have to do that and further that skill coming up on Sunday against an incredibly tough Titans team. That's also what they have to get over, the tough and the grind that Titans can do against virtually anybody with anybody on their their roster. And the Colts have not been that team. The Colts are they need to be that team coming up on Sunday. Let's start talking about that offensive line because what we saw in a team that gave up no sacks compared to those first games, which was just brutality for Matt Ryan, was the addition of Dennis Kelly, long time uh, in, in the NFL. So he's going to still be there at left tackle. What is this saying about uh, Raymond? What is this saying uh, about um, a, a, a Matt Pryor, who I, I think is starting at, at, at right guard? What does this say about some of these uh, the guys in that second and third position now about their future with the Colts or what the Colts might still be looking for for this offensive line? Well, I tell you, it tell Tony, it, it says the prior can't play the position. He can't play left tackle or right tackle, and he can really barely play right guard. So he can't play either one of the tackle, the outside positions. And what it says about Bernard Ryman is he's a rookie and he's just not ready. He's not ready for prime time right now. I don't know, Tony, if Dennis Kelly is going to be sustainable. I mean, that's something we'll have to watch for coming up on Sunday as well. But he did play well when he got his opportunity, and that was a mystery. You and I talked about that last week as well. You know, this guy is a veteran. He played in Tennessee for a number of years. He'd been on this Colts roster, yet he hadn't been given a sniff. And they did, you know, the all moving around the, the, the shell game of offensive linemen in that short week. And he really didn't understand why Kelly – and Kelly, in fact, didn't understand why he didn't get a chance. And he did – uh, on that game on Sunday and then took full advantage of it. I don't know if that, again, is sustainable, but it, to me, works. You go with it again and see what happens, and, and then you kind of cross your fingers and hope that Matthew Pryor can still play at right guard. He's, he barely is workable at right guard, but he's sure, sure as heck not workable at either tackle positions, and we'll see if that offensive line can protect. They actually gave Matt Ryan over two seconds of protection, and that certainly is much better than the one-and-a-half-plus that he was given basically up until that point in time. So a little bit more opportunity for Matt Ryan to make plays, and that offense was conducive to doing that on Sunday and that went against Jacksonville. You said that this game is is the, the, the linchpin for this season. You, you, the, the Colts have to win against the Titans down there in Nashville. So who's going to win this game in Nashville? Uh, Tony, 
Tennessee's going to win in Nashville. Tennessee's going to win in Nashville until Tennessee, or I should say, until the Colts prove to me that they can get a win there. They can get a win against Tennessee anywhere. Tennessee is just much tougher. It's going to come down to that. I think Tennessee's going to win 24 to 20, and we'll be talking about this and probably searching for more answers coming up on Monday with you. Yeah, but if they win, you're going to be talking about who gets fired, right? Like, like if Tennessee wins, <laughs> you're going to be with us on Monday talking about who gets fired. True or false? Well, I, I don't. It depends. It depends on what we see. If there is just an absolute complete breakdown in some category, especially with that offensive line, we'll probably talk about it there. But we're probably not talking about it honestly, win or lose. Otherwise, Tony, if there's a tremendous breakdown then we'll visit that on Sunday without question. It just is how this game ends up going to our eyeballs, I guess, and then we'll talk about it on Monday as to who might be in trouble or who maybe, if they go down there and get a win, who may be on easy street moving forward right here with a feel-good with a team that's won three consecutive. That is how big that game is, Tony, right. on Sunday. Yeah, you can argue everything hinges on a win or, or a loss at, at any time during a season. It's a kind of... I, my, I'm not. I don't think that JMV is wrong. And my thanks to JMV. Appreciate him being on the show. It's just that it just seems so. So it, it, in, in any week, anybody can be gone, right? Any given Sunday, you can win. Any given Sunday, you can lose. Any given Sunday, you can have a job or not. That's absolutely the way it plays. Any given Sunday, you can have a job or not have a job. It's as simple as that. It doesn't mean you still may need to. Uh, Make some changes. Yeah, we'll see if this offensive line is is really where they're at. And are they getting back Shaquille Leonard? I mean, are, are, how how how's he feeling? The back, the nose, the concussion, the everything. Can this defense survive without him? If the defense survives without him, is is there something to be said there? I, I mean, I think the, you you get him back, you're gonna put him in the lineup. I don't see how that's not gonna happen. You get him back, you put him in the lineup. It makes it makes perfect sense, I think, to everybody who's watching. It is the one o'clock game. It is the Colts. It is the Titans. Catch that on Sunday. Meanwhile, this Senate race in Pennsylvania with this Democrat John Fetterman has gotten nuttier and nuttier. With his wife now on the campaign trail, his wife answering questions for him. It's it's a problem, and they want it. They don't want you to notice that it's a problem. Chris DeGaulle, he's a radio host out of Philadelphia on AM 990, The Answer. He joins me to break down what's going on in this race. How is it that Pennsylvanians are feeling? And, uh, ooh, some animus towards John Fetterman. I've got that all coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. that the uh, political left is very upset with America, not just people on the right, with America for noticing that Democratic Senate candidate in Pennsylvania, John Fetterman, has a problem, that he had a stroke in May and he's still not okay, and that every time it comes up, what you get is this unbelievable attack on those who bring it up who rationally note that the man cannot complete a sentence, that his his conversations are not 
cogent in so many ways. You know what they get told? Maybe you're bad at small talk. That's what they said to Dasha Burns at NBC. Maybe you're the problem. You're an ableist because you're attacking somebody who has a disability. He had a stroke. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.Locals.com. But all of a sudden in this race, you've got the interjection of his wife, Giselle Fetterman, who is the one engaging really in the interviews and the one saying we don't even do the interviews. If you didn't check this out, if you didn't catch this, catch this. Mr. Uh, Fetterman, are are you satisfied with the progress of the bridge? That's his wife saying, we're not doing interviews. We're here to celebrate. Chris DeGaulle uh, joins us right now. If you don't know the man from AM 990, The Answer in Philadelphia, he is the voice of reason in Pennsylvania. And dude almighty, it must be different seeing it from the front row view uh, that Pennsylvanians have. Uh, What is the first, the take on Fetterman uh, writ large? Do people think, oh, he's just fine? It's just a little bit of a speaking issue? Or do they believe there's a cognitive impairment? They know there's a problem now. And the reason I know they know there's a problem now is because this week they finally release another medical report from their doctor. Uh, They've been unwilling to talk much about his medical progress. He had that very bizarre interview you mentioned with Dasha Burns from MSNBC, which was devastating for him because she said off the top, very casually, and they're furious with her for saying so, he can't understand casual conversation. What you need to know about that interview, if you don't, if you don't know that interview setting, she sets that up and explains that while he couldn't understand their conversation offline before the interview began, the only way he could understand her was through the help of a monitor, uh, closed captioning. And that's, in fact, true. That's how he's going to debate Oz next week. The one debate he's agreed to is with the condition that he'll have a monitor so that he can read everything transcribed as it's said. Now, that clip you just showed of his wife, the reason we don't see him a lot and why it's so devastating is when we do see him and he's not reading from a monitor, what you just witnessed was, I can't understand what you're saying to me, so my wife has to interpret it for me. That's what you just watched in real time. That's People sit, People are having to consider sending him to the United States Senate? I think not. And so now we know why for months it's been carefully uh, – he doesn't take interviews. He runs off on the right. bus and runs away. So this is this, devastating. This, Just the wrong but it, it, it puts us into a, a unique part, too, because the Democratic Party is still running him, and they're running him on the Joe Biden presidential election timetable, which was do it in the basement. Yeah. Don't get out there. Don't be engaged. And so many times, and we, we just heard uh, bef- just earlier this week that Joe Biden has been very upset about press conferences that Joe Biden has been allowed to do, leading more to more questions about uh, whether or not Joe Biden is 100% okay. But we'll stick with Fetterman uh, for now. When this happens, there's a question of how, how it is perceived. When you have the spouses interjecting on behalf of the candidates, because we're not electing the spouses, we usually avoid the spouses and we're talking about uh, the candidate themselves. How do Democrats in Pennsylvania uh, go about with a straight face saying everything's fine when it is obvious 
that it's not fine. And what are the voters telling you? Yeah, I think, you know, Trafalgar stumbled onto something kind of interesting that I I I hate predictions. I don't make them. I really hate them because, you know, what good does it do us to make predictions only to look like jackasses the next day? Right. But I'll say this. I have a sense that there are going to be an awful lot of people either setting this out, just not participating in this election, or are going to vote for Oz and it will surprise us. So this storyline that we've been told that Fetterman's competitive, that it's tight, that it's neck and neck, uh, I don't. I don't believe it. At least I don't want to believe it. Now, maybe I'll be surprised and it'll be razor thin and we're going to be counting ballots uh, in Pennsylvania again for another week after the election. But my sense of it is Trafalgar said there's something called submerged voters out there. That is people that don't want to identify as Republicans, right. you know, don't like pollsters bothering them, and they just won't admit how they're voting or even who they're voting for. And so it wouldn't surprise me, much like Joni Ernst um, in Iowa in 2020, Susan Collins in Maine both of whom were polling under or neck and neck throughout a race, and both of them won by almost double digits by the time the vote was counted. My hope, my hope is that was, that's what's going to happen with Oz when the votes are counted. Talking to Chris Tegall, a radio host extraordinaire on AM 990, The Answer, out of Philadelphia. What Trafalgar referred to there was what he referred to as the submerged Trump voter, which I kind of extrapolate out because I think it's actually much less about Trump. That's my take, that we're talking about the shy right voter. And the amount of people on the political right who will not, it's not even a question of being honest with, with, with the pollster. They won't answer the pollster at all. And I, I think it was Kathahi. Uh, I, I can never get his name right. Um, his point was, was that we can't get an actual take of yeah. where the political right is. So every time you look at a poll, and even if you see somebody in the left uh, ahead by two points or three points, we think we're going to be we think we're shy in our reporting four, five, six points. So that clearly is already a lead uh, for Republicans. That was the point that he made. I'm with him. I think that we saw this uh, in, in 2016. I think we saw this in 2020. I think it's ever more present in 2022. People won't answer a pollster. There's no way they can get this polling correct. That's exactly right. Haley is who I think you mean. The guy from Trafalgar, right? The Bowtie guy. There it is. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's it is a great point. It's an important one. And uh, I will say also that it's telling to me that Joe Biden came to Pennsylvania yesterday uh, because he's not going out to many places. Most people don't want him around. And Fetterman and Shapiro, who's running for governor in Pennsylvania as well. Shapiro wasn't around, by the way. Fetterman was there. He was there for Fetterman. Now, what does that mean to me? What does that tell me? That tells me not that they view him as a uh, poison anymore, which he is. And most Democrats don't want him around. What he symbolizes to me is we need our base out. They don't I don't think they have Tony. In my view, I don't think Democrats are going to get their base in places like Philadelphia turned out. I think that traditional black vote um, or maybe that lower socioeconomic vote that they've always kind of depended on is theirs. Yeah, it's chaos. It's Mad Max and the Thunderdome in Philadelphia. It's bad. And Democrats run it all. And I think most people regardless of their politics, know it. And so at a bare minimum, are they going to enthusiastically jump in for Republicans? Maybe not. But are they enthused to go out and vote for Democrats? Certainly not. I think Fetterman and Democrats know it, and they're actually just scared they're not going to get their base. That's yeah, it, it, it's interesting to hear you talk about this idea of they may sit home 
right? That's the part that I, I'm, I'm finding a little bit interesting. What's the point of it? Because I haven't seen, a, you know, from my observation outside of looking in, a, a uh, enthusiasm gap on, on Shapiro uh, running for, for governor there who seems well in hand to beat the living snot out of Mastriano, Doug Mastriano, the Republican. I guess anything's possible, but I haven't seen a lack of enthusiasm in that. They, they, they vote for governor and then go home. That's possible in Pennsylvania? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's another poll out today from um, something called Insider Advantage and Fox 29, which is the local Fox affiliate in Philadelphia. They surveyed 550 likely voters. It's a margin of error of 4.2 percent. And in their polling, uh, Shapiro is now leading Mastriano by seven and six uh, percent say they are still undecided. So as far as I'm concerned, if this poll is accurate, I think that race is much tighter than we're being told. So Shapiro has all the money in the world. He has the yeah, name ID. He's been a professional politician since he was a county commissioner in the Philadelphia area. So uh, he's the wonderkind. He's the do no wrong. He's literally not granting interviews. He's just kind of coasting. He's got gazillions of dollars. They're slick ads. Yeah, Mastriano's kind of running a guerrilla campaign. It's rough. It's uh, not nearly as moneyed. But the fact that it's competitive, again, tells me, and the fact that Shapiro is spending so much time trying to define Mastriano as an insurrectionist and, you know, they're going at the abortion angle and, you know, Shapiro's touting his record on uh, cop endorsements. I mean, we are one of the worst cities and states for crime in the country, if not the worst now on homicides. Fetterman and Shapiro are the same guy lawless cretins. I mean, it's wait, 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 wait a second. Take a look at this. Yeah. Tell me that Shapiro and Fetterman are the same guy. Uh, I should say politically, not physically. No, Fetterman's an oaf. He's an ogre. You know, I put, you know what, that, that picture that you just showed. So I was sitting around all day yesterday trying to figure out what does that remind me of? What does that remind me of? And all of us in the 90s who came up as kids, you'll remember the movie The Mask, Jim yeah. Carrey. Remember the bad guy, Dorian? You have it posted on, on, on your Facebook page. I saw that earlier yes, today. I, I, all day I thought, who does that remind me of? That neck, that freak. Like, do they make a shirt collar that wide, that big? Because if you've seen him profiled, I mean, it was Tucker that crafted the nickname Fetter Neck. He's got a, there's some kind of, I don't know, it's like a pumpkin-sized gourd on the back of his know. neck. So I don't know how it's a kind and, you know, I got people that say, stick to the issues, Chris. Don't make fun of him. Okay, let me stick to the issues for a second. This SOB, Tony, was part of an administration that locked down our schools, locked down my church, got people killed. He wants to release a third of the prison population. He wants to legalize all drugs. He has never made an honest day's living in his life, and that's not a joke, until he became the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania and took taxpayer money uh, as a salary. This guy is worthless from top to bottom, and he's destroyed a lot of lives. I'm personally about as vengeful and angry at him and the Democrats of Pennsylvania as I've ever been as a voter. So if I want to make fun of the fact that he looks like a circus freak show, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do so unapologetically because that's me being kind. Before I let you go, I got about two minutes with you. Talking to Chris Tagal, of course, radio host, Morning Man in Philadelphia, AM 990, The Answer. What is going on with Oz? How is Dr. Mehmet Oz with all his camera ready skills? And he's got a fair amount of likability, maybe not a super amount of likability. How is he losing to this guy? Well, if he is, right, <laughs> based on polling. It's a complicated question. Um, he 
has a problem with the base. He's a real problem with the base. Um, things got very ugly for him in a contentious three-way primary, as you remember. In fact, I think we might have talked about that back when he and Kathy Barnett and uh, a guy called Dave McCormick were running. Kathy Barnett surged. Um, very impressive lady. Um, happens to be a black woman. And, and by the time she took the debate stage with Dave McCormick and Dr. Oz, who were very moneyed and kind of the two guys going at it, Kathy surged in the 11th hour. And then Oz and McCormick, but really Oz really turned on her. And Kathy had the hardcore conservative MAGA base behind her. And there's so many people that are still very angry at Oz over that and mistrustful. There's a lot of hurt feelings through that Republican primary. And They've, they've not come home to Oz. Um, I think they will. Uh, I hope they will. They have to. We all have to, no matter what you think. Um, and look, right. we're replacing Pat Toomey, who impeached Donald Trump, a Republican, right? So Pennsylvania Republicans are a mess. They always have been. Uh, we conservatives are very frustrated because we never really feel like we're well served. But Fetterman is not an option. So you got to come home and vote Oz. That's his problem in a nutshell. That right there is Chris Stegall. Find him at ChrisStegall.com. That's where you find all his good stuff right there. ChrisStegall.com, AM 990, the answer over there in Philadelphia. Chris, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us, man. Great to see you, Tony. Absolutely. This race is going to be a thing. It is a thing. It will continue to be a thing. I it, it, it's it's one thing to say he's not my favorite Republican in, in Dr. Oz. It's another thing to say he's so not my favorite Republican, I would rather have the guy who cannot understand the sentence being asked of him. That's a fundamentally different thing altogether. We've got more to get to. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. I will admit to you that I don't believe I had ever heard the name James Gordon Meek. I didn't know who who he was. That he was an investigative reporter, Emmy Award winner, ABC News, discussing stories on national security, uh, terrorism-related stories. I had not heard his name, or maybe more to the point, I did not remember his name, which is strange because a name like James Gordon Meek is just... Uh, Meek, it, it's to me not the everyday. The the the, the using the the proper and all three, uh, you know, first, middle, and last, and everything else. I, I would assume maybe I had heard something. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Uh, he was a producer of something called Thirty Two Twelve Unredacted. I do not know what that uh, documentary is. It's on Hulu. Rolling Stone is reporting that he's missing. He has not been seen in public since April when heavily armed federal agents raided his apartment in Arlington, Virginia. The claim is that, according to Rolling Stone, to which uh, a grain of salt, dear people, the claim is that classified information was found on his computer. His attorney is saying Mr. Meek is unaware of what allegations anonymous sources are making about his possession of classified documents. If such documents exist, as claimed, this would be within the scope of his long career as an investigative journalist covering government undoing, uh, wrongdoing. Sorry. The question is, why did the FBI decide to engage a raid on a reporter? This should give everyone a moment of pause. Regardless of party, it should give everyone a moment 
of pause. What are we talking about here? By the way, the uh, Hulu documentary is about a cover-up in the Pentagon about the deaths of U.S. servicemen in the country of Niger, N-I-G-E-R. Why in the world would there be a raid on a journalist? I thought we had freedom of speech. According to ABC, they told Rolling Stone he resigned very abruptly and has not worked for ABC for months. His last public statement was a tweet from April 27th where somebody had written uh, about uh, an eight-year lab experiment in Russia um, that you know, and about Ukraine, and he just responded with facts, F-A-C-T-S. That's the last tweet he has out there. I'm not sure why this happened. I am sure it's something that I'm going to pay more attention to and see what develops from this story. A story that should have people wondering, did the FBI just try and shut down a reporter in the United States? That's where I start. Find everything at TonyCats.Locals.com. TonyCats.Locals.com. Have a cigar this weekend. Have a bourbon in moderation. And have a good time. I'll catch you on Monday, everyone. Take care.